we welcome you into another week. Is this week 10 or week 11 of being in quarantine, Gribble? I think it's 10. It's number 10. Yeah. Week 10 of the best podcast available, quarantine edition for a Tuesday, the 19th of May, 2020. Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble. We've got a loaded up podcast for you today. Eric Edholm, NFL analyst, draft analyst for Yahoo Sports, will join us here in just a few minutes. The Z that stands for Zagura. I put together a fun little thing involving all the, the top draft picks from the past decade. I'm going to ask the guys to rank them. That should be interesting, to say the least. Uh, want to thank you for coming on board on this Tuesday. Gribs, hope you had a good weekend. I don't even know what that means other than making sure and praying to God that things don't flood based on how much water we've had. Um, sore subject, Gibbs. Sore subject. Gribble, I am uh, also dealing with some of that as well. Yeah, but uh, not as much as you. You have the you have the old Lakewood house. Yeah, it's that's it's just every time it rains, I go down to the basement and I just look and I just cross my fingers that it's 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 not happening. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with that one hundred percent. That that was my Friday. That was my Sunday. That was my Monday as well. Yeah. So. Let's hope we can dry out. It's, here it's bad that we have to plan. Like we literally planned our Sunday around the weather forecast so that we were home when it rained. That's not a good place to be. No, no, I would agree with that. I did not do that, but yeah, I, I just left my kid in charge. I was like, good <laughs> luck. Godspeed. Here's a squeegee. Push the water away from the house. Uh, so that's where we're at. Uh, the latest from the national football league. We're kind of settling into things now. The virtual off-seasons are all underway. We're all waiting to see if we're going to open, when we're going to reopen, when teams are going to be allowed back in their facilities, who's going to be allowed back in. All those hypotheticals are in play. People talk about them daily. There's nothing really to say or do more about it until things actually get announced, and we have a plan in place. The latest news from the National Football League, Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn said they looked at Cam Newton but they liked the quarterbacks that they had. Gribble, the quarterbacks that they have, they have a rookie quarterback, a number one draft pick, which I, I could see, you know, maybe wanting to get him going and get him going quickly. Tarad Taylor, and I don't know anybody else. I'm fairly confident Cam Newton could have found a place at the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, I just think it's the answer he has to give because you don't want to be like, well, we looked at it and this guy's better, but – we want our rookie to play. And I think that's the, that's the real reason. I mean, Cam Newton, even though he hasn't been himself the last couple of years, he's a superstar and he comes with that comes with it uh, a lot with it. When you come into a situation like the chargers and especially a, a, a fan base, that's going to be clamoring for anything. I mean, a, a, any type of star they can gravitate to. If your idea is getting Justin Herbert, some early experience or just grooming him and getting him ready for that experience, Cam Newton's probably not the right fit for them. And I, I think he would have been the Cam Newton would have been the right fit if they didn't draft a quarterback because I think he's just the best quarterback out there and can can bring some real star power to your team. I just think it doesn't make sense fit-wise right now for what they're trying to accomplish. So for that I understand, but it's not because Cam Newton is not as good as these other two guys, because he's better than both those guys. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And it just again goes begs the question. Where does he ultimately end up when teams can start giving physicals? Definitely. I, I mean, I'm not ruling out him sitting the year out. Really? I mean, I just, I mean, it, it's a weird, he, it's such a weird situation. Like, I don't, 
he, he's so good when he's on top of his game, such a polarizing star player. Like, does he go somewhere to be a backup? I just don't, I don't know if I see that or if he waits for whatever injury pops up. I mean, that that's the more likely situation. I just can't see Cam going to a situation where he knows he's going to be the backup and not have an opportunity, nor do I see a team being all that interested in bringing in Cam as a backup because you, you don't want the backup that everyone thinks should be replacing your starting quarterback. I mean, I think that's the, that's the, the, the tough situation. So I do think uh, odds are he'll probably end up somewhere, but I think it's going to be somewhere where there might be an injury or someone just really stinks and they, 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 they go through camp and they're like, we can't play this guy. Yeah. The other guy to keep an eye on, and he's one of the top free agents still out there on the board, Jadavian Clowney. Story out over the weekend from Adam Kaplan uh, saying the Eagles would only consider Clowney for $10 million or less. Obviously, this guy, everybody's kind of waiting to give this guy a physical to see where he's at and ultimately where the money matches up. He wants a lot of money. It's really starting – the longer this goes on, Gribbs, it's moving closer to $10 million than $20 million a year, I think, that the Clowney camp was looking for. Yeah, though I, I do think this is going to be like one of those like late free agent signings you see in baseball all the time where someone doesn't sign for months, but then they sign this huge deal at the end. I could still see the numbers working out where, where Clowney's probably not getting $20 million a year, but I, 10 just doesn't seem right for the kind of talent he is and the age where he's at. I, I, I think he'll end up getting – more than that it's just it's just interesting to see how this is playing out but he's too good of a player to be on the sidelines and too good of a player to be taking that that maybe that low of money in that year he, he's not in a position where he has to prove it I mean he's a, this is a quality player that may, may not his sack numbers don't justify the impact he has on the game and I, I think that uh, eventually he's going to get somewhere for for a pretty decent amount of money it, whether or not I mean maybe it's maybe it is a one-year deal but it's it I would imagine that one-year deal would be more than 10 million yeah, whether it's Newton, whether it's Jadavian Clowney, they have time. I mean, really, we're, we think that training camps are going to start on time, and that would be the end of July. Until then, there's not really a lot going on in any NFL buildings, so there's still plenty of time to see how those things play out ultimately. Yeah, and you're, you're limited in your ability to visit places, and I think that might be playing a factor into this. I mean, remember the – do we remember like the world tour that Gerald McCoy went on last year that it, it was, and it was, what was it? Yeah. Late May. I mean, this yes. was, this was the time that he was going, cause it was right around that time that we announced the draft was coming to Cleveland. So yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where he would maybe be on this like well chronicled media tour of, of facilities that just can't happen right now. And yes. so I, I, I think that might be inhibiting whatever process that leads to him signing somewhere, but I, I imagine he'll be somewhere for training camp. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. One other thing from the from the weekend, Gribbs, and just a, it's a handful of guys. And I saw a couple tweets over the weekend, you know, where, where players are saying, hey, it's just a handful of guys making stupid decisions. Don't hold it against the rest of the league and, and the guys that are working hard in the offseason. But, you know, the, it, was, uh, it was a little concerning, I think, a handful of players around the league. Uh, no, no one with the Browns, which – we're so happy. It's another off season. We're so far so, so good. And it's been pretty quiet. A handful of players around the league involved in legal issues over the weekend. Should it be a concern for the league? I mean, these guys for the most part should be in their respective cities working with their respective teams, but yet 
everything that's happened has happened over the last 72 hours. And that's usually when the guys would have been off and traveling anyways, virtual off season or regular off season workouts usually happen Monday through Thursday. And then they have the weekend off and a lot of them scatter Thursday afternoon and would go other places and be back for Monday. So are you concerned about it? Not concerned about it? Uh, I'm not concerned yet. I mean, it's obviously, it's not great. I mean, it, and, and you hope you, I think the NFL has done a pretty good job these last few years of cleaning up some of these things. I felt like these used to be more of an issue uh, maybe five or six years ago where, where these things were cropping up all the time. I, I just think that I don't necessarily buy the argument about being in the hometowns. Cause like you said, these guys are on planes almost every weekend out of these places during this portion of the calendar. Now say if this reached July and you're not doing training camps yet, and this stuff was happening, they'd be like, okay, this is when they're in lockdown mode for training camp. They really don't have time to, to really do anything outside of uh, eat, breathe, and, and play football. So I, I think that I don't buy the hometown argument right now just because I think that th they would be back in these places on weekends no matter what. So I, I just – I'll chalk it up to a rough weekend, and, and hopefully uh, players learn from the, the negative exposure it brings. I mean, even in incidents where – Ultimately, if you are proved innocent, you really can't get over that day of negative headlines that affects you, and that follows you for the rest of your career. And I, I think that players know that, and when they see other players go through that, and, and they don't want to be that – you don't want to be that guy. You, you just don't want to. So I think that a weekend like this can serve as a stark reminder, and I imagine a number of coaches in their virtual offseason programs will bring that up uh, when, they're, when they're meeting with their players this week especially with a holiday weekend coming up. Mm -hmm. I don't know what really that means for all of us, but uh, it is a holiday weekend and a technically the start of the summer season. So yeah. something that bears watching here in the next few days and for the following week. All right, Nathan Zagura comes your way in about 20 minutes or so. Right now, though, and earlier in the day, we had a chance to sit down with Eric Edholm, our good friend, NFL draft analyst, NFL analyst from Yahoo Sports, been doing it for a long time. He's very good at what he does. Uh, and we wanted to get his thoughts on the Browns draft, the Browns offseason, and just the vibe around the National Football League as we continue through this offseason that has been unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. Have a listen, have a watch. Happy to be joined on the best podcast available by our good friend. I, he spent many a time uh, appearing on our radio show, Cleveland Browns Daily. Eric Edholm, NFL draft analyst, NFL analyst from Yahoo Sports. Been doing this for a long time, and, and we appreciate the time today, sir. I, I hope you are well during this time. I know you've got, you've got young kids, right? I do, yeah. We've got five-year-old, you know, young-ish, five-year-old twins. So, you know, the, the best part about them is that they're having a blast. They, they, they're none the wiser about them. I mean, they know about coronavirus now. They can even draw it on a, on a piece of paper, which is a little bit scary, I guess. But they're hanging in there. We're all doing pretty well. So thank you very much. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, let's, <laughs> let's dive right into things. And, and, and let's talk NFL draft. And uh, this is the best podcast available. This is our draft podcast through the team. And let's start right with our football team and, and uh, a draft that didn't have us having 11 or 12 picks, which we were big fans of, Gribble and I, especially covering from a distance and working out of our homes. Uh, but they made the most of it, we think. Want to know what you think, big picture, when you look at this Cleveland Browns draft hall? 
Yeah, I really liked it for the most part. I, I thought they made a lot of smart choices, a lot of sensible picks. You know, it, you know, for me, getting Jedrick Wills at number 10 was uh, really a coup. I mean, I, I, is there still a concern whether he can play left tackle? Sure, absolutely. He hasn't really done it. I think he took a few reps in practice and, and did a little a tiny bit in high school, but predominantly a right tackle. So, you know, there'll be some things that are a little bit different from that respect. Um, you know, to me, Grant Delpit is better than the, what, the 44th best player in this draft. I, the tackling concerns are something that really kind of plagued them throughout the, the season. They were even an issue in 2018, in my opinion. But, you know, he's, he's a really rangy safety with a, a, a good head on his shoulders. I think he's going to be a nice addition. And uh, I am biased on Jordan Elliott. I'm a Mizzou guy, but uh, his upside is fascinating. I had him a lot higher than, you know, where he ended up being drafted on my draft board. Um, flashes of, of dominance. You'd like to see a little bit more consistency. But, you know, I think with a, with a strong rush unit around him, he could really be an impressive player. And, yeah, I mean, throughout, I think they just found pretty good value and good fits uh, scheme-wise as well. Eric, with, with Jedrick Wills, I mean, it, there was all this debate before the draft about how every team has a different tackle ranked number one. From, from what you know, was he maybe among the most commonly ranked number one? Or after maybe talking to people after the draft, what, what have you heard about? about yeah. That? Yeah, I would say you're right about that. I mean, there were some, you know, I, I'm probably thinking about how many people I talked to about their order of, of the top tackles. And, you know, there were people who had – Will's number one. I don't remember too many people having him lower than their second or third tackle. I mean, there was there was pretty, I would say, round appreciation for his game a little bit. And, you know, Tristan Wirfs, there was some variance. Mackay Becton, I think people were either, you know, beyond fascinated or a little bit, you know, skittish about him. And Andrew Thomas might have had the biggest range of the top four guys. So to see him go first, yeah, I I suspect the Browns liked it, liked Andrew Thomas quite a bit, but that Jedrick Wills ended up being a, a, a tremendous consolation prize. But you're right, they, you know, we're still talking about a, a lot of difference depending on who you asked. That Alabama program continues to churn out talent. There, I, I think we can all agree on that. Um, obviously, people talk about making the switch from right tackle to left tackle. Do you see any other weaknesses, though, in his game or questions as we get ready for this season? Yeah, I thought the Michigan game for him was not his best, especially in the first half. And it looked like he, you know, just seemed a little bit out of sorts at times. There were some times when he kind of overset and allowed people to kind of spin back inside and rush uh, and give up some, um, some, some pressures that way. You know, again, the one position thing is a little bit of an issue, but some people didn't really concern, uh, weren't too concerned about that. He also committed several false start penalties. I think there were actually a couple in that particular game. The Auburn game, I think there were at least two. So, you know, this is still a young kid. I think he turned 21 a, a day or two ago, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, this is a player who, uh, you know, even though he started quite a few games, 30 or so games at Michigan, I mean, he, he's still kind of learning how to, harness his strength, you know, to be a great fundamental prospect as well. Uh, and if you looked prior to 2019, his pass blocking was an area that needed work. Last year, though, I thought for the most part, he really he made big strides in that department. So you're still seeing an ascension of his game, which is what you want to see in a prospect of that age. Eric, how would you explain the – we went through a few years here before with 
us worrying about the future of the left tackle position in the NFL. I mean, cause just because these guys in college are doing stuff so differently. What, what, what do you maybe see? Is it just kind of a wave of so many of these guys coming in at once where all of these guys could have maybe been the number one tackle in previous years? I mean, what, what was it that caused this this year? Do you think? Yeah, I think it was just an unusual uh, circumstance. And now next year's tackle class, some say might be as good or even better. You, you never know how it's really going to turn out, which underclassmen are going to come out. But it's, it's obvious that if you want to compare the 2018 tackle class to what we – or sorry, 2019 tackle class, excuse me, uh, to what we saw in this spring's group, uh, this year appears to be far deeper, far top heavier, you know, a lot more strong top to bottom. I, I'd bet my, my, my draft life on that one. So, you know, I think there are still – I think we're in that second generation of – uh, of tackles kind of working in the spread offenses and things like that. And the NFL has finally started to adopt those things. Is it a little frustrating when you watch a tackle and you might see three or four true pass sets where they're, they're pass blocking uh, for, for two and a half seconds or more? Yeah, it's a little harder to evaluate them. And that's what O-line coaches have, have griped for years. But as you see the NFL offenses and the college offenses start to merge more, and as you see the prospects kind of adapt – I think that allows for some, some great talent to be cultivated and you can kind of meet in the middle as far as what they know and what they can be taught. NFL draft analyst and NFL analyst for Yahoo Sports, Eric Edholm is our guest. Eric, when you take a look at Delpit, I, I think we all knew that there was going to be a little drop going into the draft. Were you surprised that he fell as far as he did? I think since about the combine, and I don't remember exactly when I, you know, started, it became clear to me at some point in January, February, that he was probably not, you know, the odds against him being a first round pick were higher than him being a first rounder. So uh, I, I think the tackle concerns were, were a little bit of, a, of an issue. The fact that he couldn't work out at the combine, really, that's probably when I realized, you know, we're really going to work against him. And then of course the coronavirus stuff, obviously preventing pro days from happening it probably hurt 50 or 60 players more than others. And I would put Delpit on that list because of the injury. And, you know, he had the collarbone in 2018. He had the ankle in 2019. Are we going to suggest he's now injury prone? Probably not. But the fact that he wasn't able to perform and, and, and test was sort of a big deal. But, you know, I still saw him as a very early second round pick and, you know, I thought about like Landon Collins going what 33rd overall a couple of years ago. They're not the same player, but, you know, I could sort of see, I was sort of thinking he'll go somewhere in the 30s. So to get him, what, four picks into the 40s, I think is a nice uh, value for him. And I think he'll end up proving his worth beyond where he was picked. Now, Eric, is there such a thing as setting your, the bar for yourself too high in your early seasons in college where, like, obviously Delpit had, like, an insane sophomore season. We see this with quarterbacks a lot, like Jake yeah. Fromm way better earlier in his career and later. I mean, how much do, do scouts worry about when a, a performance drops off when it's getting near draft time as opposed to ascending at that point? In time? That's a great observation, too. And I think it was true with Justin Herbert, right? I mean, 2017, when he started out, it was like, well, here's your future number one pick in the draft. He ends up going sixth overall, and people are saying, what a bomb, that guy stinks. I mean, obviously, it's the fact that we've been watching him and can now nitpick him, and we're expecting – every year to take these incremental grain, uh, gains rather look it sometimes doesn't happen that way you know Trevor Lawrence took a step back last season uh, you know at least early on he did by the end of the year we saw a prospect playing at a pretty darn high level 
you know, sometimes we set our expectations too high. It's probably less of a concern in the scouting community, but it does worry them to a certain extent that if a player starts out with a great freshman year or a great sophomore year, and then people start to figure him out or defend him better or find ways to, to sort of circumvent that prospect from making as many plays, you know, then it's a problem. Then it's a tangible issue of was this guy just flashing one move or one trait or one aspect of his game, and if you stop that, he's done. In the case of Delpit, I, I, you know, or somebody like that, I don't, I don't necessarily think, yeah, I mean, his playmaking ability in 2018 was incredible. You know, did, did he deserve to win the Thorpe Award last year? Probably not even on his own team. I think, you know, Daryl Stingley Jr. might have been the better defensive back on his own squad last year. But, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that's a case by, you know, a case-for-case case situation where a guy plays well one year, regresses a little bit, and thus he's headed in the wrong direction. All right, so the other draft picks, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Elliott, Delpit, Wills. Uh, we, Jacob Phillips, the, the linebacker out of LSU, Harrison Bryant, the tight end from Florida Atlantic, Nick Harris at center, Donovan Peoples-Jones, that the, the highly talked about wide receiver out of Michigan. Uh, is there a name out the, in that group that stood out to you, like the late day two and the day three picks that the Browns made? Yeah, they're all pretty interesting. I mean, at one point, I, I had uh, Peoples-Jones just inside my top 100 because, you know, I felt like talking to people around the league. They said he, because of his athletic skill, he had a chance to go in the top 100. I ended up moving him back a little bit, um, and he went a little later than I suspected. I still thought, even in this great class of wide receivers, he'd go higher. He's the ultimate wild card, right? You see a guy who's incredibly talented, who just didn't produce the way you'd expect with somebody with that kind of ability. So he's one that it's hard to figure. I didn't, I didn't love the Jacob Phillips pick, but I think he's a pretty good little player. Like I just meant that I would have liked to maybe a little bit later in the draft. I had no issue with it, but Harrison Bryant to me is kind of fascinating. I, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be special, but anybody, I'm sure there's some Ohio state fans there who watched him in the, in the game early last season and said, Who's this guy? You know, he made some, some spectacular catches in that game. You know, he won the Mackey Award, which for a player from that level of competition is, is pretty darn impressive. Um, now, don't get confused. I don't think he's ever going to be a great inline blocker, but it gives the effort you want. I think he'll contribute on special teams. He's got good hands and could be a very good number two. And as we know, you know, it sounds like Kevin Stefanski wants that kind of two tight end unit to, you know, to really kind of, diversify the offense and give as many looks as possible so I I I get it I understand why they picked him and I I think that that choice may end up being a pretty savvy one when we look back in a couple of years Eric you mentioned you're in the the Jordan Elliott fan club and I know that it, it seems like he is a very there's a certain group of people who just love this guy and I want to know what's the reason why outside of the Missouri ties I mean it seems like PFF had him in the top 25 but what what about him really stands out to certain people and, and are really high on him for that reason. Yeah, I mean, other than attending the greatest university in the world, of course, uh, you know, uh, I think his quickness off the ball is something that's really impressive. And here's a player who was playing more in the 320 to 325 range at one point, was a little bit of a, you know, a disappointment at Texas, transfers to Missouri. Even though he was the scout team MVP, I think a lot of the coaches felt like that first year. He still needed to sculpt his body. Um, and as he did it, and as he learned to play in his new frame a little bit, 
you saw a player by the end of the 2018 season that was the most unblockable player on that entire defense. So that was a, a pretty, you know, encouraging sign heading into last season. Uh, you know, you see the big long arms, the huge hands, the quickness off the snap. Um, you know, he can bench press guys back into the backfield. For me, that the play-to-play -play consistency is really the biggest issue right there. You'll see him get high and get easily blocked, give the, you know, the, the lineman a good target to block. You'll see him kind of, you know, take unusual angles to the ball and, and get himself out of gaps. So there's still a little bit of a discipline thing that needs to be taught with him. Um, you know, there were some people who said that he had a little growing up to do at one point. It seems like he's kind of come around on that somewhat. I know not all teams were, were completely, you know, signing off on him in that regard. But, you know, I, I think if that, what was it, the 88th pick or something overall, I think it's absolutely a great dart throw at that point because if he gets to use that length and that power, that natural quickness and power that few linemen have, if he can harness that, I, I think – you know, it's on that kind of Sheldon Richardson sphere a little bit as far as impact. You know, I, I know Sheldon's a hot and cold player too, but if he gets to that level, he'll be well worth that pick. Yeah, no question about it. Eric Edholm, our guest, NFL draft analyst from Yahoo Sports. What else surprised your big picture from this draft other than if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you're figuring out what the hell your team was doing. And then the Eagles, of course, taking your quarterback and getting all kinds of news on day two, taking the Green Bay Packers uh, <laughs> one up in you. Here, hold my beer while I do this. Uh, your thoughts on the on a crazy draft weekend, all done remotely? Yeah, first of all, just the the, the production was incredible. I thought, you know, to kind of merge the networks and you know, give people the distraction they needed. I didn't get to watch round one because we were doing our, our live broadcast that night, but watching pretty much every selection from rounds two to seven, I was just so blown away at the production and have to feel like they're going to incorporate more aspects of that even when things return to normal and you guys get to kind of host the draft. So we'll see. I'll be fascinated to see what the changes are going forward. But as far as the football stuff, I mean, I get why people are, are confused in Philly and, and Green Bay to supposed contenders, why they would take quarterbacks. But I also think in this offseason, you know, given everything we're kind of up against here, you know, especially with young head coaches or new head coaches, you know, the fact that there could be a quarterback injury and really kind of set yourself back without the, you know, the full offseason uh, program – we may end up looking back at those picks and saying they were smart. Is it, is it tough to reason with now? Yes, maybe. But I think, you know, if, if either one of those guys pans out, they'll be well worth where they ended up being taken. So, you know, big picture, quarterback was an a, a interesting lot. Offensive tackle was great. Running back, I thought there was some real skill. Wide receiver, great depth. Maybe not the high-end talent that everybody thought. And – you know, there were just certain positions that were lacking, interior offensive line, tight end, you know. So for the Browns to get like Nick Harris and, and um, Bryant where they did, I think was pretty darn good considering those positions were considered pretty weak coming into the draft. And for the most part, I think it showed that. Uh, specifically, what do you think about the AFC North and which teams improved themselves or maybe which teams didn't use this, this draft in the best way? 
Yeah, I mean, the Steelers obviously got a lot of value with the Minka Fitzpatrick trade before they ever got here. And, of course, the, the Deion Bush trade also affected this draft, too. And they did pretty well for themselves. I mean, and other than that, a couple picks, I didn't really have too many gripes. I like Chase Claypool. I think some of the other choices they made were pretty smart. But the Baltimore Ravens, to me, really made home run pick after home run pick. And I know you guys probably don't want to hear that. But, you know, you take a strong team and you add the, the amount of talent they did at you know, receiver, obviously, with Devin DuVernay and James Prochet, you know, linebacker with Patrick Queen and some of the other selections like, like uh, Malik Harrison there as well. You know, they, doubling up in positions isn't always a, a, a smart thing to do, but it is in this case because they're different styles of players, I think. So, you know, it was really fascinating to see how they just went round by round and found talent um, and even got a, a pretty good trade, I think, with New England to get uh, extra ammo as well. So, Hard not to love what they did. And, you know, I think overall, the AFC North teams did really well for themselves. I was, I was pretty impressed. They were among, you know, division-wise, they were among some of my higher grades that I gave out. Eric, I will let you go with this. Um, y- your thoughts on where this league goes and what this league looks like uh, come August mm. and even September when we're all supposed to kick off. And yeah. uh, your, your thoughts, what you guys have heard, and, and, and what, uh, what may or may not happen here in 2020. Yeah, it's obviously really hard to say. And I, and I think as we're seeing sports slowly return, you know, the Korean baseball, the Bundesliga soccer, you know, we had a race yesterday. We've had a, a golf event now. You know, as we slowly kind of ramp up and see how those events work, and, you know, obviously there aren't fans at, at these things, and, you know, we're going to slowly have to reintroduce the idea of putting, you know, butts in seats, so to speak. But, you know, the NFL has an advantage that a lot of these other sports leagues don't in that they still have a lot of time on their side. And look, realistically, are we getting, you know, a, a cure or, or some sort of vaccine but before between now and then? Probably not. You know, we're going to have to decide what we're willing to live with and what the data is showing. You know, our cases going down, our hospitalizations going down, our deaths going down. I think the NFL will consider all this, but they've been pretty darn steadfast with their idea of, you know, the league is kicking off September 10th, and here's how the schedule is, even if we've built in this flexibility here to alter it if we need to. So, you know, they, they've had an aggressive approach. They've had a confident approach, but I think they've also, you know, been smart enough with it in the sense that they know they're willing to adapt if they, if they have to. My, I have no idea, of course, because we don't know what the health conditions are going to be, but I wouldn't be shocked at a full season where we, we slowly start to see the integration of, of larger amounts of fans into stands uh, by the end of the season if things keep going well. Yeah, I, I hope. We all yeah. hope. I mean, that's I, I, we need games, and I yeah. think we're going to get games. The question is going to be, you know, fans or no fans. Agreed. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. It'll be interesting over the next couple months. I appreciate a few minutes of your time today. Uh, all my best to you and your family. We hope you stay healthy. Twin five-year-olds. Thank <laughs> God I have a high schooler because I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> Gribble's got two. Uh, Gribble, I think your oldest is three. Three and one. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, thank not, you. Not, no picnic. <laughs> you guys do whatever you need to do. I'm out. Been there, um, done that. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for the time. Continued success. Follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore at home. Uh, we appreciate it and uh, look forward to con- continuing to read your stories and articles here on Yahoo as we get closer to the 2020 NFL season. All right. Pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. 
Again, thanks to Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports for his time. Great read on yahoo.com. And uh, continue to follow him through the offseason. He'll start putting together everything, by the way, for the 2021 NFL draft sooner rather than later. Hard to believe, but uh, he has a tough task in front of him, to say the least. Zagura joins us. Hi, Z. Yes. What's up, boys? How you guys doing? You know, trying to stay dry, uh, trying to figure out if our basements are going to flood or if our houses are going to flood again anytime soon. But yeah. we're surviving and advancing. Let's get done with this. Let's get done with this rain. And by the way, uh, since it's a BPA, happy birthday to you over the weekend, Gibe. Oh, Glorious. yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so youthful. Yeah, it was a it was a weird one. You know, you get everybody. It's like, hey, we'll get together. We'll get together. I'm like, what is that really going to happen? <laughs> While I, I appreciate know. it, it's like, I hope it happens sooner rather than later. Yeah. So, same. Uh, yeah, we'll kind of see how things all play out. Z Gribble, Gribble, by the way, sporting it, it, Gribble, you got to show it. it. It's the old school Sonic shirt. Ah, it's old a great school. one. I'm here. I'm here to, to to defend that team's honor just a bit. It was not rightfully uh, portrayed. I would say in the last dance. No, one of my favorite actually did a pretty time. good job. He did a pretty good job on Jordan to be dismissed the way he. It was. was it was just so flippantly dismissed. I mean, yeah. come on, like at least concede a little bit that he made your he life six a little games. bit more difficult. Yeah. Agreed. Come on. Yeah, and Sean Temple was like treated like an afterthought. Like he didn't even he wasn't even on that team. Yeah, he I had a own, great final. One of my greatest uh, jersey ownings was I had one of those Sonics jerseys, reversible Gary Payton jersey. Oh, wow. I don't see those Let reversible ones anymore. Was it green and white or green and red? Green, green and white. Green and white. Oh, yeah. Gribble, where the hell does one get when you were a Ute? Yeah, because yeah, it was, 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 that was a darker period in Cavs fandom, I would say. Not the, not the greatest Cavs years. The Sonics are my other team, and I, I was – I'm one of these people that had to come around to Michael Jordan post career. I didn't like him when he played. He always beat my favorite team every year. Yeah. So it was, I was, I was rooting against Michael Jordan in all, I would say I wasn't old enough to really root for anyone in the Lakers one, but I was rooting against him in all five of those finals that he won after that. I was, yeah. I was, it, I, it was a, I was a it rough place to be. It worked out very well for you, Gribs. No, it, it, was, work out well. it was a rough place to be. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I totally agree. He was, he was public enemy number two. Public enemy number one was John Elway, but the public Cavs enemy were, number two was Michael Jordan, and yeah, they were the, like one A and one B. The Cavs had a finals-worthy team in those for those those few years that were just taken away by by Jordan. I mean, there was just no no chance. Yeah. Nope. I agree. I agree. I I don't. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I guess ESPN's next big thing is the McGuire Sosa deal but uh, the last dance was pretty spectacular i don't care if it it's only jordan's point of view and you know there very little's talked about in terms of charlotte and washington people were like well it's super one-sided yeah okay fine yeah it was a pretty entertaining 10 hours in my life and yeah, i uh, i was totally fine with it so all right uh let's get to the business of the national football league nfl.com last week ranked the decade's number one draft picks. My task for you both today is to rank and discuss the draft picks, number one draft picks from the past decade. Sam Bradford 
in 2010, Cam Newton in 2011, Andrew Luck in 12, Eric Fisher in 13, Clowney in 14, Jameis Winston in 2015, Jared Goff in 16, Miles Garrett in 17, Baker Mayfield in 18, and Kyler Murray in 2019. Uh, I don't know if it's easier because we can't write it down to go from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10. How would you guys like to start? Where would you like to start? Are we, are we picking apart this article? Because there's one get-off-my-lawn moment right away with this guy's rankings. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, that's fine. So I, I can go through. I can read you the rankings. Yeah. He does have – in NFL.com, he's got Cam Newton number one. He's got Luck number two, Miles three, Kyler four, Goff five, Clowney six, Baker seven, Winston eight, Eric Fisher nine, and Sam Bradford number ten. Gribble, go ahead. Let's start dissecting this guy's rank. I mean, Kyler Murray at number four already? Like, come on. There, there, yeah. There's not nothing there yet. I mean, he was he was all right, and they won a few games. Like, let, let's he needs there, to be. He needs to be further down until further notice. That that was just my immediate reaction from that. There's been a lot of anointing of him. Yeah, I come uh, on. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, Listen, if this thing was written after the 2018 season, Baker'd probably be number three on this list. Yeah. And so, and then now he's all the way what? It's seven because of one year. So for Kyler Murray, yeah, he had he showed you some promise, and it's a projection, but it's I, th I agree with you. It's absurd, and the fact that Jared Goff who has taken his team to a Super Bowl, which is really what you are tasked to do as a number one draft pick, is fifth, is insane to me. Jared Goff should absolutely be third on this list. It should go Cam, Luck, and you can debate Cam and Luck how you want to do it, but then it's got to be Jared Goff third. He, he took his team to the Super Bowl. That's what you're supposed to do as a number one pick. There's a lot of it's – a, it's a hot thing to hate on Goff these days. Totally. It's it's, like, and I think God. he gets too much hate. I, I just don't I think – it's not fair. He's, 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 he's been good. He's been is – he, is he elite? Is he one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL? No, but clearly he's a good quarterback. He can make throws. He can put points on the board. He takes care of the football. He's solid. Like I said, he took his team to a Super Bowl. Did they win it? No, they did not. But the fact that he would be fifth behind a rookie who finished well behind him in his own division a year ago is after one year is fourth is nuts. And, and I love Miles. I think Miles would be the first non-quarterback on my list, but – I think Miles would be fourth. I think Goff's got to be third because, like I said, he took his team to a Super Bowl. And then you got a bunch of guys who are not even with the teams that drift. That's why Bradford's at 10. Jameis, I won't even, as much as I love Jameis, I won't even really argue where he's ranked on this one per se because you still have the unknowns with Baker and Kyler as quarterbacks to, to have their franchises want to stick with them, which would put them ahead of them as far as I'm concerned. I, I think Fisher at nine is a joke too. I mean – First off, the guy's been a, a starter for how many years now? I yep. mean, eight, eight or nine years. Uh, and secondly, the degree of difficulty in that draft to make him the number one pick has to be taken into consideration. There was no one else right. really worthy. I mean, it was that, that's, that, that's a good pick in that, in that year. I mean, wh who, who are you picking over that guy? No, I think it turned out fine. I, I think, think that just I mean, was just I, a, such I'd a bad that. draft. It was a bad draft, so the degree of difficulty goes up for that number one pick. And, I mean, I, I would maybe rank him at this point. I would definitely put him ahead of Winston. And I'd, I'd, I'd maybe put him ahead of Clowney. I would put him ahead of Clowney. Clowney's a three-time Pro Bowler. And Clowney, I know he doesn't have a double-digit sack season yet, 
but he's still been very, very good. He disrupts the game and much more, I would say, than Fisher did. I mean, if you were looking from that draft, honestly, to me, if they were going tackle, you take Lane Johnson, right? I mean, in his looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight, Lane Johnson was the fourth pick. He was easily the best pick in the top 10. I mean, yeah, easily Lane Johnson. All right. So Zagura going off of your logic, can you make the argument that golf should be ranked higher than Andrew Luck? Should he be ranked number two? Cause he did take his team to a Super Bowl. I think Andrew Luck, obviously he got to the AFC championship game against those good new England teams. His team was better every year that he was there. Um, Andrew Luck to me, if he was still playing, you know, would probably be number one. I, I think he's a better player than Cam. I mean, I just think he's a better quarterback than Cam. I think he's, he's sensational. He's not playing anymore, but I would not rank Goff ahead of him because West 32 GM fell. Okay. You can have Andrew Luck or Jared Goff to start your franchise. Who are you going with? 32 out of 32 would say Andrew Luck. With Kim, it actually might be a little bit more varied, especially at this point. I mean, the guy doesn't even have a starting job, which is nonsense. But Andrew Luck, no. Andrew Luck is safely – I think those two, there's a wide gap between those two and everybody else on this list. Now, Miles has a chance to, to close that gap. But I think – and so does Baker, obviously, and Kyler if they play well. But for now, it's those two. And then Goff is probably on his own little level, then Miles, and then everybody else. I probably would have put Luck ahead of Newton because if you ask the Colts and the Panthers or ask the, ask the Colts, who would you rather had for this stretch of period? Because now they're both not with their teams that drafted them. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the Colts would still take Andrew Luck during that period. I bet the Panthers I, I, might too. Yeah, and I think, I think so. I, that's why I, I think that uh, Cam had Cam had probably the best individual season during that stretch, but Andrew Luck played the best football over his stretch with his team during that period. So are we in agreement then that the worst number one pick of the decade was Sam Bradford, who really was the biggest winner because it was the last big payday for a, uh, for a number one pick uh, coming right out of college and getting the money that he did. Is he the worst of the decade? Gribble? Yeah. I mean, just cause he never put it together. I mean, all these other guys have been good. I mean, like it's, it, they've all been starters for long stretch of time. Some have been elite players. Bradford's the only one that never really could string it together. Uh, and again, I don't fault the Rams because I'm looking back at this draft now. I don't know who else they would have taken, especially when they needed a, a QB. I mean, do they take a Dominican Sue with the number one pick? I mean, then that would have been all right, but would he still be, would he even be cracking the top five on this list? I don't know if he would be. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's part of my judgment of these is who could they have also had with those number one picks? And I've, I, I have a hard time faulting the Rams taking Bradford there, but he's definitely been the worst, I'd say. Yeah, I would go with Bradford or, or Fisher. I mean, those two, to me, are in their kind of their own group. And I know Fisher's been a solid player and he's been a starter. Bradford, you know, his body betrayed him, never was able to stay healthy. He, he had some pretty good efficient years, one with the, the Rams and he had one with the Vikings but never was able to win. And when you're drafted number one overall as a quarterback, your job uh, really is to take your team to the playoffs and to win playoff games. And so on that level, he has failed on that level thus far. Jameis has failed on that level thus far, you know, and it's so too early, but Baker and Kyler have failed. So that's, that's the barometer for a quarterback. And if you don't do that at all, then it's tough to get too excited. So uh, I think, you know, that's why it's clear to me that Goff, Luck, and, and Cam are – the top three on this list they were drafted to do have their teams become postseason successes 
Andrew Luck had his team in the postseason all the time. Took him all the way to the AFC Championship game. Cam's been to a Super Bowl. Goff's been to a Super Bowl. That's what you're supposed to do when you're the number one pick. All right. So are we all in agreement that some combination of Goff, Luck, and Cam are your top three? Yeah. So who would be number four? I'll put Miles there. Yeah, Miles. And who's number five? We'll just go top five. I'd probably put Clowney there just because he's, his resume is better. But the quarterbacks should surpass him quickly and easily if Baker or Kyler lead their team to the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's what they've got to do. Um, and I think, you know, right now if Clowney's five, they're six and seven. Jameis, and there's a big gap between them right now, at least, and Jameis, Fisher, or Bradford. And you can put, if you want to put Fisher eighth and put Jameis ninth, I'm not going to fight anybody about that. But right now, you know, these quarterbacks have to, they've got to play well. They got to play well. And I think it'd be interesting because if, like I said, if this was done after 2018 and Baker has that great close to the season, Baker's probably third on this list, wouldn't you say, Gribbs? Yeah. The way that this one's written, without question. And so it's amazing. He's getting too much hate now. Now he's got to answer all those critics this year and everything's set up for him, as everybody keeps saying, no excuses. It's all there. The line's there. The skill position players are there. The scheme is there. It's all there. He's got to do it. And I have a feeling he has a chance to take his team to the playoffs this year. And if they were to do this again after the 20 season, I would expect Baker to be much higher. And I think Kyler, as good as he's going to be, that's a tough division to try to come out of and get into the playoffs. I mean, that's going to be difficult. I, I think the, the part where we disagree the most, I think, is Eric Fisher. I mean, he started 98 games for the team that drafted him. I mean, that's, that's a really good pick. I mean, I, I, I know it wasn't a sexy draft, and he hasn't been an elite player, but he's been good enough that, I mean – a lot of these other guys aren't on their team anymore. I mean, they moved on. I mean, I, I think that there's some value in that, especially in a draft that we malign as much as that 2013 draft. So how high do you want to put them? Where do you want to That's put them? That's where I was going. I'd say five or six maybe at this Woo! point. What? Woo! He's, an, he's at, at, at best an average player, right? At an important position. I don't know. I mean, I think if you're drafted number one overall and you're a tackle and you're not even the, the best tackle that was taken in the top 10, that's not a great pick. But he, he is a, he's uh, Lane Johnson's a very good right tackle. Yes. Not a left tackle. And let's just be, when, are, when have we been singing the praises of the Kansas City line? It's, it's honestly, he's not the best I mean, lineman on his own team. I mean, which I, is I think a lot, maybe half the teams might have cut bait on Eric Fisher. Yeah, as, but he was cheap. The, but he, yeah. But I'm just saying, uh, maybe that's my mindset. I'm in more prove-it mode with some of these more recent first-round picks. I still think that you've at least seen stuff from Kyler and from Baker that would make you feel better about selecting them than, than Eric Fisher. I do. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just valuing. I mean, that's how many people have started 100 games with the Browns recently? I mean, it's, it's just – I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's, I, I value the longevity and the consistency and knowing I have a left tackle. Maybe it's because I've, I've lived these last couple of years without a left tackle that I'm just spooked by – by not having one, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the tough thing, but I, I guess it's just how you look at the list. I mean, I'm, I, again, I'm with Baker, Kyler, these guys, I mean, they've got, these are big years for them to, to prove that. And even more so, I mean, Miles has proven it, but this is a big year for Miles as well Huge. to really uh, uh, escalate into the upper echelon and do it for a full 16 games and really show what, what we think he's capable of. I think that that will ultimately tell me whether we can put him above, a guy like we think he's going to be a better player than Jared Goff eventually. It's just that you have to, to show it now. Got to do it. Yeah. Got to do it. Indeed. A lot of guys that need to prove it 
here in 2020. Z, appreciate your time, my friend. Oh, it's always fun to stop by. And it is amazing, though, you look back at this decade of, of draft picks, and really, there's the potential that I think you could say six end up being home runs. But that even shows how difficult when you have the top pick in the draft, still how difficult it is, still how many variables and factors go into it. And it's just, it's not easy. It's the end of drafting in the NFL is not easy because especially for quarterbacks, they can get derailed for a variety of reasons, whether it be injury, whether it be the line that's in front of them, the, the coaching they get, the ta lack of talent around them. But I think it's, it's an interesting exercise to look at it and say, you know, as you sit here beginning the next decade, Cam's doesn't have a home. Luck has retired. You know, Miles has a lot of potential. Kyler's got potential. Baker's got potential. Goff is your most accomplished everyday player right now, in a sense. And Clowney's never been the guy that you thought he was going to be. He's going on his third team. Right. He's also expensive. So there's yeah. like, for example, if Eric Fisher was demanding the money, he probably wouldn't be back. They were commanding the money. He wouldn't have been back with Kansas City. But no, he, it, that's, and that's what's amazing about these things. You talk about every year somebody's generational. Every year somebody's, you know, the best they've ever seen at this position. It's, it's hard. It's hard being great in the NFL. It's hard. And it takes a lot more than just talent. You would say not, not a true – maybe Bradford's the closest thing. Not a true bust on this list yet. No, fair. I would say that there's no, like, total swings and misses. Yeah. I think Bradford would be the closest. But, again – that goes it's hard to blame injury for somebody's career completely being derailed because he did have some good stretches and has shown the ability to play good football it's just yeah. he never could stay healthy yeah you're, I think that's the biggest takeaway. there are no busts there's no Jamarcus from the decade which is pretty impressive that's that is definitely saying something but it'll be interesting to see what this next decade brings us and how these guys are viewed in five years so should be interesting. Oh, it could see. change a lot. I mean, it could. you could end up, honestly, if Kyler or Baker can lead their team to a Super Bowl and even a, a win, they're going to jump to the top of this list. Yeah. If Miles becomes, you know, a 16-sack guy for the next five years, he's going to jump near the top of this list. So, yeah, the next five years will be very interesting because the guys that still have potential are about to hit their stride where they can really change how these rankings – you know, for Cam, I'd say his best hay is in the barn. Luck, same. You know, Goff potentially, but I mean, he still has a chance to change where he sits on this list as well. But I think his organization is in a salary cap position that's going to make it very difficult for, for them to get back to. He needs to, first round picks. Yeah, he needs, he needs talent. You need cheap talent. Right. And you, they don't get it. No, clearly not. Uh, Want to thank Eric Edholm. Want to thank Nathan Zagura for his time. Jeff McDaniel behind the scenes taking care of everything. Want to thank Andrew Gribble for his time uh, getting crazy and watching kids and trying to keep from floating away down uh, up, I should say, in Lakewood. Uh, Want to thank you all for listening and for watching. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. Also, you can watch us anytime on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash browns. For Andrew Gribble, for Nathan Zagura, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.